Welcome to the NESCP's Equity Expert Podcast Series. My name is Jen Namazi, and I'm the Director of Content for the NASPP, and I have with me two guests today. I have Dan Capinos and Rachel Lopez, both of Aon, and we're going to be talking about ESCPs, more specifically about how common are employee stock purchase plans. But before we get started, I just want to throw out a couple of reminders. Uh, first of all, this episode is part of our Equity Expert Podcast Series, which features discussions with a variety of professionals on stock compensation industry and career-related topics. You can find this podcast on our NASPP website, which is naspp.com. It's also available uh, through your podcast apps on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So moving on to the topic of today, uh, which is ESPPs, we're going to dive into some research that Aon has done, which is pretty robust, on how common are ESCPs. We know that they're out there, but you know who really has these plans and what are some of the demographics around those? So before we jump to some of the, the questions we all have, I want to just introduce both of our guests. So the first one is Dan Capinos. He's a partner in Aon's reward solutions business. He serves as the head of Aon's equity services team, which provides expertise, service, and advice on all things related to equity compensation to over 900 companies globally. Dan is a frequent speaker and writer on a variety of compensation topics, and he's held many industry positions, including president of the NESVP's Philadelphia chapter and member of the CEP Institute's Curriculum Committee. Dan currently sits on the NESVP's Executive Advisory Committee. Uh, Rachel Lopez is a consultant with Aon's Equity Services team, where she uses her background in statistical analyses to address clients' equity needs for a wide range of equity-based compensation vehicles. Rachel currently oversees the team's thought leadership development and has written multiple articles exploring current trends in equity compensation and addressing the nuances of stock-based compensation plan design. So we have two really, really great speakers with us today, and I'm, I'm just pleased to welcome both of you, Dan and Rachel. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having you. us. So we will just jump right in. Um, so as I, I mentioned to our audience, I know we're talking about some of the research you've done around ESPPs, and so I think it would be best, best if we just took a moment to explore why did Aon choose to do this research? So ESPPs are seen as a useful stock-based compensation tool, but our understanding of their real-life prevalence rates was pretty limited. So we here at Aon decided it would be beneficial to examine the prevalence of ESPPs in the U.S. and to examine the types of companies that are offering ESPPs to their employees. And just to add to that, the, I've always felt, um, or we've always gotten this, this question of how prevalent are ESPPs across the marketplace. Um, and we've only ever been able to use anecdotal experience. We've generally just thrown a finger in the air and said 50% of companies uh, maintain an ESPP. Um, so we felt it was about time, and this was in partnership with the NESPP and Fidelity Stock Plan Services. We felt it was time to actually put some, some real numbers out there and dig into the details to do something more than a finger-in-the-air estimate of 50% of companies. And I don't want to spoil the, the details too much because I know we'll get to it. But the nice part about all of this is, is that our, our anecdotal estimate wasn't too far off. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to hear more of the details. So just in looking at how you approach this, how did you go about finding out who has ESPPs and conducting that research? 
We examined companies in the S&P 500 and in the Russell 3000 indices and identified, identified whether each company within the index was actively offering ESPPs to their employees. We elected to focus on the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000 because we wanted to highlight the higher profile large cap companies in the S&P 500 and then also get that broader market picture with the Russell 3000. One thing to note in terms of how this research was conducted, we went through public filings, uh, basically when these plans would have been proposed to shareholders to understand uh, if one was out there. Then we went through corporate websites to understand if it was an outlined benefit <clears throat> on a, a company's website uh, to show that the plan was still in place. This did not discriminate between qualified and non-qualified ESPPs. This was purely if you had a program that was approved and we could tell it was still in play. Um, there is some small degree of, or small margin of error associated with this, purely because um, we can't always tell who's still actively using their ESPP, even if they have one that's been approved by shareholders. Um, but the, the research was pretty robust just to ensure we got as accurate as possible in understanding the active ESPPs that are out there today. All right, so, you know, how you got there and who you looked at and, you know, the approach. And so I know I'm curious and I'm sure the audience is too, to wonder, you know, what did you actually learn? I know you kind of gave a little teaser there, Dan, a moment ago, but what did we actually learn through all of this research? Well, what we learned, Dan was, was right with what he alluded to there. Overall, 49% of the S&P 500 companies and 38.5% of the Russell 3000 companies are currently offering ESPPs to their employees. And we felt like this was a good start to understanding the prevalence of the ESPPs in the industry, but we really wanted to take a deeper look at the company demographic trends that are connected to whether companies are providing ESPPs to their employees. So what we did next after we got that overarching prevalence was we took a look at the industry that each company is, is in. And the first, the, the way we looked at that was we divided companies up using their GICS code. And we found that for both the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000, the information technology and healthcare industries were the most likely to provide ESPPs to their employees. In the technology industry, 86% of S&P 500 companies are offering ESPPs to their employees. In the Russell 3000, that number is 68%. For the healthcare industry, both in, in both industries, we're seeing offerings in the 60 to 68% range. On the total other end of the spectrum, the materials and the utilities industries were the least likely to offer ESPPs, with fewer than 25% of companies in these sectors offering ESPPs. Then the next analysis that we did was a deeper dive into the industry data. The most interesting finding here was that the, in the healthcare sector, there's a difference in ESPP prevalence rates between the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000. In the Russell 3000, we saw more, more ESPPs being offered in pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, and the life sciences sub-industries. And, and different from that, in the S&P 500, we found that more ESPPs were showing up in the healthcare equipment and services subsector. And to add to that, the, these results weren't too surprising. It was good to see the information hold. Uh, and as much as our finger in the air estimate of 50% was accurate within the S&P 500, it was interesting to see that when we, we have a little bit broader of a universe with the Russell 3000, the prevalence actually comes down. Uh, but again, not too surprising. Um, at the same time, it was, it was also nice on the industry side to see some things affirmed, some, some beliefs that we had in place for a while uh, were really confirmed 
through this analysis. And that's mainly that ESPPs are more prevalent in the tech and healthcare sectors. Generally, we see equity used more often within those industries in general, uh, but uh, that's extending into the use of ESPPs, um, which is interesting, but again, not surprising given the, the prevalence of equity uh, and how much is just ingrained in the culture within those programs. One of the things that we did not dig into here, maybe this is part of a, a next round of analysis, is the types of plans that are used inside these industries. Because I'd also expect to see the Cadillac plan, the truly employee-friendly plan, most common in the, the tech sector, maybe the healthcare sector. Um, but uh, more to come. That's, that's potentially round two of this analysis. Rachel, do you want to now go through uh, some of the results by region and company size? Sure. So the next analysis after we looked at industry is we looked at the, the, the regions in the United States. We divided companies into the, their headquarters location. So the Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, Southwest, and the West Coast. But we found that California was actually skewing the data for the West Coast. So we pulled them out of the West Coast and counted California on its own. And we found that across all the regions, the data were fairly consistent with somewhere between 40 and 49% of the S&P 500 companies and 27 to 37% of Russell 3000 companies providing ESPPs to their employees. However, California was a totally different story, which is really no surprise. There we saw 73% of companies in the S&P 500 and 64% of companies in the Russell 3000 offering ESPPs, which of course is quite a bit higher than the rest of the regions throughout the U.S. And again, not too surprising, uh, mainly because the presence of tech companies in particular in California, uh, and we just talked about how prevalent equity is within those that, that industry. Uh, given the number of California, it's not surprising to see that go up. Uh, but again, I think another interesting part of potentially future analysis will be digging into those California companies and seeing if certain industries are actually holding higher uh, than they are in other parts of the United States. Um, and if this is really a tech culture thing that's boosting California up, or if California has its own unique culture that impacts all industries. But we'll find that out in uh, maybe a future round of analysis. Uh, and then, Rachel, you want to uh, walk through quickly uh, what we found out based on company size? Sure. So we also did look at the impact of company size on ESPP offerings. And what we looked at were both market cap and headcount for this analysis. For the market cap, we saw an even distribution of prevalence rates in the S&P 500, which makes sense because these companies have a larger market cap overall. For the Russell 3000, we actually saw a steady increase in the prevalence as the market cap increased. Only a quarter of companies in the bottom 10% of market cap in the Russell 3000 offer ESPPs. And when you get to that top 10%, you see just over half of the companies providing ESPPs to their employees. Then when we looked at the headcount analysis, what we uncovered was an interesting data interaction when we looked at company size. The Russell 3000 presents a general trend where the smaller a company is, the more likely they are to offer ESPPs. But in the S&P 500, there's this sweet, pot, sweet spot for ESPPs in the mid-range companies. Companies with headcounts between 5,000 and 100,000 are more likely to offer ESPPs. And the peak of that is really in the 10,000 to 25,000 employee range. And that was a really interesting finding because market cap, it, it seemed to make sense with our experience historically, where basically bigger companies are more prone to offer ESPPs in, in terms of market cap. Um, when we got to employee headcount, it, it kind of turned it on its head a little bit. 
where the Russell 3000 had uh, almost the opposite relationship. The, the prevalence of ESPPs went down the bigger your population got, which seems counterintuitive since ESPPs are so effective at uh, putting stocks in the hand of your broad-based population, particularly a, a big population. Uh, and then in the S&P 500, seeing the sweet spot was a little little weird as well. So we, we plan to dig into that a little bit more in the future, but um, uh, still some interesting information that was found by company size. All right, interesting. And I, I do want to ask you about future plans regarding more possibly more data and information. But before we get to that, I just want to come back to, so I know you did a lot of evaluation and dissecting within both the Russell 3000 and the S&P 500, um, we just talked about industries and then region and then company size. So um, just following that stream of questions, were there any uh, fundamental differences between the Russell 3000 and the S&P 500? And if so, you know, could you expand on what those were? Yeah, great question. And uh, to Rachel's point at, at the beginning, uh, we really chose those groups based on um, the different market profiles, the S&P 500 being uh, those biggest large cap companies and the Russell 3000 being a, a broader representation of the total market. Um, it, the difference is, well, there's a lot of consistency between the two and how these numbers sh shake out. The differences ultimately come down to that exact fact that the size profile of companies is so different. Uh, and if we're talking about it in terms of market cap, because the Russell 3000 has such a broader representation at the mid-cap and small-cap company size, it actually drags those prevalence numbers down. Those companies are a lot less likely uh, to be maintaining an ESPP than some of those bigger large-cap companies. That, while they still appear in the Russell 3000, um, they are basically entirely what the S&P 500 represents. Um, so it, it purely came down to that representation uh, of the companies inside each group and what drove the fundamental differences, which is compelling. Um, at, at the same time, I wonder if we're going to see this change um, uh, down the road. Uh, we can talk about that more in a second. But uh, I do think ESPPs are a very uh, effective and efficient way of putting shares in the hands of the population broadly. Uh, so I, I it, a program like this would still make sense even in mid-cap or small-cap companies. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how some of these numbers change potentially in the future. Well, and speaking of future, just going on a go-forward basis, do you have a vision or ideas on where you see ESPPs headed? And, you know, part B to that is, do you have any plans to update or expand on this research that you've done? Great question. Um, so in terms of where we see ESPPs going, I know there's some concern or some discussion in, in place right now, particularly with where the economy's at, where we see uh, changes made to ESPPs to help with um, managing costs or uh, navigating the volatility of uh, potentially the next few months or year. Um, but I'm a firm believer that ESPPs are incredibly valuable uh, and they're very effective. Overall, they don't uh, the budget for an ESPP does not, uh, is not very material to a company at all. Uh, I think it was some NESPP research uh, a couple of years ago that found out that the average spend on an ESPP is like a half a percent of a company's budget overall. So it's very, very small. Um, but it's very impactful in terms of getting shares in the hands of a population broadly. Um, 
So if anything, I would believe a time like this, particularly with the uncertainty, this is a more effective way um, of providing benefits to your employees, the non-cash charge, uh, because you're, you're providing shares to people. Uh, and you actually, the company gets a cash inflow uh, as a result of somebody buying shares at the end of uh, the purchase period. So um, these are very attractive plans. Um, and while it's kind of hard to predict where we see them going in the very near future, I'd like to believe that we're actually going to see even more of an uptick on these plans just because they're so effective uh, at providing benefits to people. But, but we'll have to see. Uh, in terms of where we want to take this research going forward, I alluded to that a couple of times uh, in this conversation. But I think we want to get a little bit more granular on the details where the types of plans we're seeing companies use, the standard six-month offering with a discount and a look back versus the Cadillac plan that's extremely employee-friendly. How prevalent are those things? Those are details we want to try to dig into. Uh, and then we also want to take some of the, the demographic information that we use and cross-reference it. So going back to California, um, is California's prevalence numbers driven by a culture that exists in California across all industries? Or is it just the prevalence of tech companies in the state of California that prop that number up, things like that. So we want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into this to see if we can uncover uh, a little bit more nuance and details that help companies understand um, this type of information. Because ultimately, I do think that this is, this is very valuable information for companies to have. Um, certainly, if you want to maintain a competitive advantage, you want to make sure you're providing competitive benefits uh, to your employees um, you certainly need to know where your competitors are at and the prevalence of these programs. Um, so uh, certainly our mission here is to keep this research going, try to update it annually if possible, uh, get a little bit deeper and a little bit more uh, detailed uh, every single time just to help companies understand the lay of the land in terms of ESPP prevalence uh, so they can make their own decisions and maintain their own uh, competitive advantages. That's fantastic, and I, I absolutely agree. I think ESCP is one of the most impactful benefits a company can offer to their employees. And to your point, Dan, I think, you know, a lot of companies uh, are interested in, in understanding how they rank against their competitors and peers and, you know, what could they do to gain that competitive advantage. Um, I know we certainly at the NESCP, we get asked a lot about ESCP data um, as companies try to try to figure out the answers to some of their questions about it. So I think this research is really exciting. I'm really grateful that you were able to share it with us. And before we wrap up for today, I want to just throw it out there to both uh, Dan and Rachel to see if there's any final comments or anything else you wanted uh, to leave with the audience before we conclude. I will, I will add, um, you can definitely check out this research. It's uh, public. It's free. It's on the, uh, Aon Rewards website. I invite everybody to, to check out the details. There's a lot of great information in there. Uh, but otherwise, the, the only other thing I would say is just echoing what we've been talking about, the value of an ESPP, even in volatile times. Uh, it is a very effective way of retaining people, providing benefits to people, uh, and helping to create employee ownership, which helps companies navigate uh, volatile times. So, I would encourage companies to keep exploring these and keep thinking about ways that you can leverage equity and ESPP specifically uh, to address those uh, the need that retentive value the 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 benefits that these programs bring to your population 
even through uh, this particular economic environment. And then lastly, I want to thank you, Jen, and the NASBP for the opportunity to share uh, our thoughts and the details of this research today. We very, very much appreciate it. Well, glad to have you both. Um, I, I want to thank you both for, for participating and, and sharing this information today. And also just want to let our audience know that we will include a link to um, the website Dan referenced, the Aon Rewards website, uh, with links to more information about um, this research. So um, that will be available uh, on the episode notes that we post this podcast. So thank you both. Um, and with that, we will conclude and wish you all a great day.